From the courtroom to the tabloids, welcome to All Rise, the podcast that lets you be the jury. We will discuss and debate provocative celebrity news stories, court cases, political controversies, crime, and other hot topics of the day. With on-the-scene correspondents, officials directly related to the issue, and a panel of guests that will leave no evidence to the imagination, All Rise swears to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Your host, Dylan Howard. Bombshell new evidence in the mysterious deaths of five superstar celebrities. If Elvis Presley did not die of a drug overdose, who killed him and why? Was the royal family behind Princess Diana's untimely death some 20 years ago? Was Marilyn Monroe murdered by the Kennedys? These are the questions that will be answered in a brand new book and we have the author here with us on All Rise. Plus, is Heather Locklear the next Britney Spears? Arrested for the second time in as many months, is the clock ticking on this television superstar or can she be saved? We'll be joined by an addiction specialist with all the answers. This is All Rise, Episode 9, Season 1. Heather Locklear, the Melrose Place star, at age 56, arrested last Sunday night and booked early Monday morning, according to the Ventura County Sheriff's Department in California. Held on $20,000 bail and then hospitalised. The tragic downfall of a television superstar. Joining me on the line, Dr. Ramesh Sawney, who is a board-certified member of the American Society of Addictive Medicine Association and the Society for the Study of Addiction. Dr. Sawney, Heather Locklear, this is obviously a tragic circumstance, someone whom has battled addiction for some time. How grave are the concerns for her well-being? Well, I think they're, uh, they're extremely grave. She's had a number of um, events where she has had what we call relapse, but largely I think she has not had an effective treatment protocol and she is at risk for a potentially terrible outcome. We've seen these types of Hollywood meltdowns in years gone by. Of course, perhaps mm-hmm. one of the more infamous and notorious cases was that of Britney Spears. And when she was hospitalised on Monday night, hours after she was arrested, I really had flashbacks to that Britney Spears moment. And I don't think we've Mm -hmm. seen someone so desperate, someone in such a plight like Heather Locklear for some time. Well, it exists more commonly than than we expect or we want to think, Um, not just in the, you know, the uh, population that's in entertainment, but in the overall population. One out of every five people have some level of exposure. So it is far more common than one would anticipate. Her case is, is, of course, severe, but I think back in the 1960s and 70s, we saw a lot of severe cases, but we had a better outcome. Now, if you look at the legal element of this and the criminal element of this, sheriff mm-hmm. deputies responded to two 911 calls to Locklear's residence on Sunday. The first call occurred around 6 p.m. local time for what was described mm-hmm. as a disturbance. Deputies arrived. They determined that no crime had been committed. However, a second call came in at around 11 p.m. 
local time. Deputies then responded to a domestic disturbance involving Heather Locklear and another party, which All Rise understands to be her on-again, off-again boyfriend. In that particular incident, Heather Locklear kicked one of the deputies in the leg while they were looking at the situation. Is that type of criminal behaviour simply as a result of someone being so boozed up or drugged up? Well, it's really a combination. It's not the boozing and the drugging immediately, but she probably suffers from long-term depression and anxiety, and this is her, you know, her her response to an immediate action. So she really doesn't have control over her emotions, and her psychiatric condition is impaired. So you would expect this kind of response. And this isn't the first instance. In April, Heather pleaded not guilty to four misdemeanor counts of battery mm-hmm. on a police officer and one count of resisting, obstructing or delaying a police officer after she was arrested. Again, another domestic violence call. In this particular situation, Dr. Sawney, what would you recommend in terms of treatment for Heather Locklear? Well, she needs a medically assisted treatment protocol, which includes not only her underlying psychiatric component, but opioid blockers or alcohol use disorder blockers. So this, these require chemicals, which are like sublocade or probufene, suboxone, methadone. So she needs to be on a protocol which will stop her from actually uh, using the drugs. It will interrupt the chemical dependency. And is a court likely to be sympathetic to this, given that we know addiction, and contrary to a lot of people's belief, that addiction is an mm-hmm. illness? Is a court going to be sympathetic to somebody whose actions are clearly the direct result of this illness? Yeah, we see this all the time in the courts, and they turn to us and we get a a nice positive response, and they are very agreeable to using uh, medically assisted treatment protocols with favorable outcomes. The courts respond beautifully to this. If you could say something to Heather Locklear, who is clearly in the grips of a horrible illness and her behavior is symbolic of that, what would you say to her? First, you know, everybody should be compassionate. We understand that this is her journey and that she's in a very dire position, um, but there are many people who are out there who can assist, and there is treatment for this underlying condition. It's complicated, but she can be treated. All right, we wish her the very best. And Dr. Ramesh Sawney, thank you very much for your time. The co-founder of The Recovery Spot, a drug addiction treatment centre in New York City that, of course, specialises in addiction medicine. Dr. Sawney, thank you for your time. Great pleasure. They are five deaths that stop the world in its track. We all famously recall where we were and what we were doing when JFK was assassinated, as well as the moments Elvis, Princess Di, and Michael Jackson died. But a new book is shedding unprecedented light on the deaths of these notorious celebrities. Joining me on the phone is the author of Murder, Lies, and Cover-Ups, international correspondent and author David Gardner. David, thanks for your time on All Rise. Thank you for having me. So this book channels some significant cases that, as I mentioned at the top of the program, stopped the world in its tracks. What was the most interesting thing that you uncovered as part of this investigation? Well, I mean, the, the reason I, I, I decided to do the book in the first place, because, I mean, everyone knows a fair bit about these cases. We're talking about Princess Diana, we're talking about Marilyn Monroe, JFK, Michael Jackson, and Elvis Presley. I mean, probably more has written about, been written about these people than anyone else in the world. 
But what I what I figured pretty early on when looking into these deaths, when these people died in the first few weeks, few days and weeks after they died, so much has been written about them, and that's pretty much that that is taken as what really happened. Whereas you know as well as I do, I mean investigations take time, um, and many more details and facts emerge much later on. And what I what I started to see was uh, um, that some of these deaths were not as simple as they've been portrayed. And the more I looked into them, there was more and more suspicious and interesting information, which really isn't, uh, is not known to, to most people. Um, so that, that, was, that was my starting point. And, and, and I felt this thread of, of more sinister information, which, which led me to believe that there was murder running through these stories. I mean, I mean literally, lies run through these cases like honey. I mean, the, everything you look at, you have to look at again. Uh, in each of these cases, so that's that's why I settled on them. Um, I, I know much has been written about them, but I felt that, that generally people just did not know the full fact. Well, let's go through them, uh, and we're going to begin with Michael Jackson, of course. The news just breaking a short time ago that his father, Joe Jackson, has passed away at age 89 after a short battle with terminal cancer. But with regards to the death of Michael Jackson, we all know that Conrad Murray, the doctor who administered the deadly dose of propofol, was convicted of manslaughter in connection with Michael Jackson's death. Many other people were alleged to have been involved in this. In fact, the allegation was that there was a conspiracy involved, almost to milk, for want of a better phrase, Michael Jackson, of his life in order to generate profits for those that were working on his last This Is It tour. Do you think that other people should have been held accountable for Michael Jackson's death? I do indeed. I think there are individuals within the medical profession who certainly should have been brought to account. Uh, And I believe the wider medical profession as a whole um, should have been more brought to account because Conrad Murray was was certainly involved and and it it was very correct that he was found guilty of manslaughter. But he was by far the only... Far from the only one involved here. I mean, uh, Michael Jackson did, just didn't suddenly decide to start taking propofol. He'd been doing it for 12 years before this. Uh, he, you know, he, he had a small board of drugs he would use to try and sleep, um, and he went through these drugs like candy, and it ended up in the most extreme of them. You know, using uh, using a, an anaesthetic that would normally and properly only be used in the hospital. So, so yes, um, I, I, I know other. Medics, other physicians have have uh, given him administered uh, propofol to Jackson. Um, I also know the police know those names, and the police have spoken to them. And indeed, um, during the trial, which I covered uh, throughout, there was an investigation, or supposed to be an investigation, into these doctors, and the police decided not to take it any further. I don't know why that would be, because I, I certainly think there's enough evidence. We heard evidence during the trial. One of them, Arnie Klein, um, yep. now passed away, but he was Jackson's dermatologist. I mean, Jackson was going into his into his office and coming out staggering because of the, the the drugs he'd been taking. He could barely walk. He had to be levered into his his limo by his bodyguard. And yet, none of these people were kind of. There was no court cases, no no nothing. It was it was kind of decided at somewhere at some level that okay, that Murray had been in court. They'd gone through the whole process, and and that um, that that was enough. Uh, and when Catherine Jackson. Um, Michael's mother tried to take action against the company involved in setting up the This Is It tour that collapsed pretty course, easily. I mean, that's yeah. that's a more complex case. You know, that's a much more complex case when you know AEG Live, who were putting on the O2 concerts in London, which Jackson was supposed to be performing, he obviously never got to do those concerts, and there was you know there was business interests, and he, you know he'd signed contracts, and that, that that's a very much more difficult 
and complex thing to look into. But but I, I think that the, the prescription drug thing that's not difficult at all. And, and I know that uh, this White House White House document says 120 Americans a day die from drug overdoses, most of them prescription drugs, and that, that's more than the number of people that die from car crashes. And this is serious stuff, and it affects everybody. And it would have been a good opportunity with Jackson being so high profile to actually have taken some wider action and kind of really put a mark on this. I mean, he's not the first celebrity to die through prescription drug use. Well, according to popular conception, Elvis died of uh, drug abuse and drug use, but you challenge that in your book. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't necessarily challenge the fact that he was taking these drugs, uh, prescription drugs. Again, Elvis was certainly taking prescription drugs. Um, he, he was one of those, I think one of many people, he would never have touched cocaine or heroin on the streets. I mean, he was you know, avidly and adamantly against them, but he was quite happy to take all manner of uh, prescription pills. So yes, he certainly took those pills. But again, Elvis, fascinating case. When you look at the FBI records, uh, which are publicly available, they talk about a kind of very, again, a very sinister case that he, that, that kind of embroiled him involving the mafia. Uh, you know, his family at one time, believe it or not, Elvis kind of hoovered through all his money and he was a bit short of cash. And so, so they, they, the family decided to sell one of his three planes. Again, a slightly complex story, but it turned out that the Mafia wanted to buy it, but the guys with links to the Mafia. And the fraud they were involved in was immense. It was more than $2 billion. It was a whole system of different white-collar frauds, which basically took over, the, ran throughout the world. It was a case called uh, Operation Fountain Pen. Yeah. And my theory, uh, and again, this is touched on by the FBI, is that there is a possibility that the Mafia had very good reasons to want to silence Elvis. Supposedly, he and his father were supposed to testify um, in court on the day he died about this particular case. That's it. The, the, the information they had would not necessarily have been cr- crushed the case, but what it certainly would have done was brought huge publicity to what was going on. Uh, and it, as I say, this is $2 billion worth of fraud. So there was you know, a lot of money at stake, and people perhaps who had cause to silence Elvis. I'm fascinated by the book, and particularly Marilyn Monroe and JFK and the connection between those two. But before we wrap up, I want to ask you about Princess Diana. You cover this extensively in Murder, Lies and Cover-Ups. I wanted to ask you this question. If Diana's death was not an accident, then who was responsible? Well, that's a million-dollar question. Well, Um, come on there, Mr Gardner. I would not not be the first person to question the royal family's role in all this. In fact, Diana herself wrote a letter before she died in which she said she, she was concerned that Prince Charles was interested in cutting the brakes to a car, you know, which is an extreme allegation. And it would sit on, I, mean, I would imagine, extremely far-fetched. But, and I, I, I did have a very good couple of sources on this story. And they said that, you know, in no way would any member of the royal family sit down and say, look, you know, we've got to bump off Princess Diana. That would never happen. But... There was an establishment behind the Queen and the royal family that, that is kind of ingrained in the fabric of British society. And there is no doubt that Princess Diana was probably the biggest threat to the British monarchy last century, perhaps ever, because her popularity was such as the people's princess that it was threatening the Queen's own popularity and the family's popularity and the tradition that they, they built up over many, many years. So there was, I was asked the question, you know, who, in whose best interest would it be for Princess Diana to die? And that's a question which is kind of stuck in my head a little bit and certainly stuck there when I was, was writing this book. Um, Dodi Fayed, who, who died with Princess Diana, his father, Mohammed, uh, who was the owner of Howard, um, has, he's very outspoken in, in, in his 
uh, statements about the royal family. I haven't said that in the book. I haven't said that that, that the royal family uh, were, were directly involved, but I do not believe it was an accident. Um, and I think that goes for many people who looked into this case in any detail. Fascinating stuff. I mean, if you think that Diana was a threat to the establishment, who killed her and who were they acting at the behest of? David Gardner, a good friend of mine, Mr. Gardner, who happens to be joining us from Paris to discuss his new book. I wanted to thank you very much for your time. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, Dylan. Murder, Lies and Cover-Ups. It's from Skyhorse Publishing. It is on sale now, $24.99. It's worth buying, i got to tell you. Dave Gardner is one of the best investigative journalists in the business. And if you, too, are fascinated with Marilyn Monroe, JFK, Elvis, Princess Di, or Michael Jackson, this is the book to read. Okay, that has been All Rise, Season 1, Episode 9. I'm Dylan Howard, and we will talk to you again next week on the only podcast with the guts to tell it like it is.